left probably. I did get a complaint last week. Um, so uh, sometimes I think it can be distracting because you guys are looking for, you know, okay, wh where's the, when's the sentence coming that I could fill this in? And, and I just want to let you know, I'll let you know when we're going to have a fill in note. So, so I, uh, I'd appreciate it if you'd listen to the message, you know, don't be looking for the, and um, I did actually put, put the notes from last week on the back filled in. So if you were like confused, you need that. There are two copies there. Don't take them. Just look at them and, you know, anyway. All right. Awesome. So just by way of review, um, we're talking about sustainable faith, sustainable Christianity. And, um, you know, the first week we talked about how you know, from, from the, the parable of the sower, you know, we need to be, um, we need to be reproductive Christians, you know, um, trusting in the Lord. You know, what did he say? You will produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Okay, and that's what Christ's goal is for us. So we need to be reproductive. That needs to be a goal of ours. We also talked about the, the parable of the, of the uh, two builders. You know, um, he who builds his house, listens to the word, and does what it says is like a builder who builds his house on the rock. You know, and the, the um, streams rise, the winds blow, rains fall, beat against the house, but it stands. So we need to be uh, prepared for that. We need to be resilient is the sustainability word that we use. So, um, Okay, then last week we talked about how Jesus said, we, we were looking at, at the Father's value system, God's economy, and, and Jesus, uh, Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, uh, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, he says um, you need to uh, take the lowly position of a child, you need to humble yourself, um, so we talked about that. We talked about pride versus humility. Um, I, I did want to mention that, you know, I may be sharing this, and I, and I, and I know it's true, but, but I'm not that humble person. By far, I'm not that humble person. I wish I was. I know God's shown me a lot of things, and I've grown a lot over the years, but I have a long, long way to go. So we talked about how humility and pride, you know, uh, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How, how when we're being, when we're being proud, when we're, when we're trying to, even trying to serve him on our own effort, trying to do good things on our own effort, we're actually operating out of pride. But when we're humble and when we trust him and ask him and, and, and let him lead us, we're being, we're being humble. So we're being, we're being proud. He's against us. He's actually against us when we're being proud, when we're not relying on him. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, and that's kind of a, a basic in, in God's economy. So then we, um, yeah. So then we talked about the gospel, the good news, the awesome news, incredible news of Jesus Christ. And we talked about how um, the gospel is about God. It's what he did, you know? What does he say? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, was raised again, according to the scriptures. And boom, that's it. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It has nothing to do with us. Except we learned also and thought about the fact that, so the gospel, God's grace, you know, we looked at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for God, for, for by grace you've been saved. Okay, that's God. That's his initiative, his, his part of it. For by grace you've been saved. And then it's, through faith. That's our part, through our trust in him. So his part, grace, his initiative, our part is a response, faith. And it's just that. It's just faith. And that's all it is. And we're going to talk about what that means a little more. So, all right. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, we're going to expand that. So, all right. Why don't we pray? And I'm also going to lift up uh, just some people in church that I think we, we need to pray for as well. So, dear Father, we do just uh, thank you so much that you are here with us, God. We thank you that you love us so much, God, that you died for us. 
I think of the great reminder of the songs that we prayed this morning, that you make a way. Even through difficult, difficult times, you make a way, you find a way. We can trust you. Thank you for that. God, we do just want to lift up today, Lord. I pray that you would speak to me. I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that your truth, your word would go out. You'd help me to hold it together, too. Um, God, I pray that, that you'd be working in our lives, Father. I, I lift up some people in our church also going through some difficult times. I think of Denise. Um, Mark Loney, Kevin Kubley, Chris, Christopher Hughesman, Lord, all suffering, suffering and, and, and being treated for cancer, Lord. We just, just pray that you'd continue to, to comfort them and bless them and, and bring, them, bring them back to health and um, bless them, God. Grant McBride, my friend, car accident, help him to continue to improve father and then Leroy who's uh, suffering from the from the virus you just bless him Lord and help him help him God father we we um, we also lift up the other churches in town and just pray that you'd bless them and you'd speak to them that your word would go out your truth would go out that you draw people to yourself in Jesus name Amen. All right. So I was thinking about the, uh, the whole, um, you know, we're to change and become like little children. And I was kind of thinking about, you know, when my kids were little and some of the things we did for them. And, um, you know, I think it, it's very helpful to kind of keep that in mind as we walk with Christ. And uh, Kathy reminded me of kind of a funny story. When Gavin was three years old, you know, you have the three, three-year-old checkup, take him to the doctor. And um, the doctor asks this question. So that, you know, three-year-old checkup, how you doing and everything. He says, what do you do when you are hungry? And Gavin, at three years old, he, he paused and he thought for a while. And all of a sudden he goes, Jesus gave us some food last night. <laughs> That's what he said. He said that to the doctor. I just thought that was so cool. But, you know, it, it's an example of, of the trust that little children have for their parents and, and for the, you know, their parents' value system, you might say. Or, or you know, I mean, he just, you know, you know, that's what we thank the Lord for the food. He just, Jesus gave us some food last, right, last night, and it's exactly accurate. Anyway, I thought it was funny. I didn't get a lot of laughs. <clears throat> Um, so we're going to learn, we're going to talk about that a little more. Um, I wanted to go into a little bit of the theology of grace, all right? And, um, you know, we, we could dive into some really deep uh, theological passages of Scripture. You know, Romans chapter 3 is huge, talking about justification and propitiation and, and uh, uh, redemption. And, you know, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. You know, Hebrews is full of some awesome, incredible stuff. And we could spend a lot of time on it, and, and I'd love to do that. But we don't have a lot of time. Um, you know, there's some really awesome stuff, incredible stuff that God's done for us in sending his son. Just amazing. But, but this particular verse, and I'd want to let you know, I'll let you know when the fill-ins are coming, all right? Um, this particular verse has really spoken to me uh, probably over the last decade. It's just really uh, affected me and changed my life. It's been huge. Uh, this is from 1 John. 1 John, one of the last uh, uh, documents of the New Testament written. Okay, so most of the New Testament was written like, you know, within 30 years of the church starting. And then uh, the Apostle John, he was an old man, 
and he, he, he made an effort to correct some things. There was some, some bad theology, some things going on, and so he, he wrote the Gospel of John. And, and the Gospel of John is, is, is an incredible presentation of God's gospel, God's grace for us. Then he wrote the letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then Revelation. I'm not sure exactly what order all that came in. I think Revelation was last, probably. Um, so, so this is like, like 60 years after the church was going. And, um, and I'll just read it to you. This is from 1st John chapter 4, verse 10. Um, and, I, and I got this. This is from the older NIV, NIV 1984. Um, and what I like about this is, this is a footnote rendering, is it kind of describes what he's talking about. So the, the verse uses the term uh, atoning sacrifice, or, or depending on your translation, it may say propitiation. Okay, those are, those are um, uh, theological terms that, that mean something. It talks about the, the uh, um, satisfaction of, of, of the deity. That's what propitiation means. So it's satisfaction of God, and he's satisfied. And, and, it, and it talks about Christ's sacrifice, atoning sacrifice. And, and I just love the way this is rendered, so I'll just read it to you. So this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the one who would turn aside his wrath, taking away our sin. So this is a description of what is meant by atoning sacrifice, what is meant by propitiation. Isn't that interesting? He's saying exactly what we've been talking about. This is love. Not that we loved God. We always think it's about our love for God, don't we? We always think that. We always come down to our performance, our behavior. It's about what we do. And then we beat ourselves up when we don't meet the, the, the uh, expectation that we think God has of us. It's not about us. It's not about our love. Satan loves to get us to stay there and to depend on ourselves. And, and he renders us ineffective because we're focused on our behavior. We're focused on what we do, and we're focused on our failures. And that's why it's sustainable. It's not what God has for us. What does he say again? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the one who would turn aside his wrath taking away our sins. Now, isn't that fascinating? Is that unbelievable or what? God sent his son to turn aside his own wrath. Let me say that again. God, creator of the universe, sent his son, actually became one of us. Jesus is God the Son. So that he could turn aside his own wrath for our sin. Taking away our sins. Is that illogical or what? Why would, why would, why would God do that? He created everything. Created us. And, and he loves us so much and he loves to be in relationship with us. That's why he did it. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. It should be us. It should be us earning that, working hard for God. Every other religion has that system. It's about you and what you do. Only Christianity is about what God did for us. Um, now, I'm not a theologian, uh, but I think that what he's saying here is that all of his anger was satisfied in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe all of God's anger was satisfied? All of his anger for our sin was satisfied in what Jesus did for us? Do you, do you believe that? So, if that's true, can we do anything to make God angry? 
I mean, when this happened, our sin was all future, right? Can we ever make God angry with us? Okay, we, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can make him sad by our sin. We can quench the Holy Spirit. Can we make him angry? If this says that Jesus turned aside God's wrath by taking away our sins, just think about that. I think that's awesome. Here comes a fill-in. So never forget that our relationship with the Father depends on his initiative and not ours. Don't forget that. It depends on his work on the cross and not our work. We forget that. Don't forget that. All right, so next question, what should we do if we sin? Because we, we're human, we're sinners, we're still sinners. What should we do? Um, John tackled that earlier in the book, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. I'll just read it. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And, and, and this should sound familiar. He's using the same language. He is the one who would turn aside God's wrath, taking away our sins, and not only our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. He is the one, he is the propitiation for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. He is the one who would turn aside God's wrath. All right, so, fill in the blank, here's the question. When we sin against the Father, what, what should we do? We need to immediately what? Think about that. All right, I know I'm hearing some words here. What does God say that we should do? This is what he says. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, what do you hear? Crickets. But if anybody does sin, what does he say? We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. That's happening when we sin. It's happening before, it's happening after. When we sin, Jesus is right there. You know, another translation says we have an advocate to the Father. Advocate to the Father. That's what's going on. So that blank is to be left blank. Okay. Now I know what you're thinking. One thing you might be thinking is, well, if that's true, then, you know, Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I mean, that's, I mean if that's true, you know, why not just go on sinning, right? It's pretty awesome. God, through the Apostle John, anticipated that question and he tackled it. So the, the very verse, the, the five verses immediately preceding what we just talked about cover it. And I, I didn't have room to put it in the in the notes. I'll just read it to you. It's first John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. All right? I'm going to read that again. Think about that. If we claim to have fellowship with him, <clears throat> him, him, <clears throat> if we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. All right, so that covers those people. 
the people that say, hey, we can just go on and sin. We don't have to worry about them anymore. They're not, they're not even here. So don't even give them any time. Because there are people that believe that. What does God say about them? They lie. All right. The, 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 the thought of darkness here, it, it kind of has a double meaning. So it's darkness, darkness of sin, evil. But it's also darkness of, of, of hiding our sin. And so he addresses that as well. So, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. All right, so what's he talking about there? If we walk in the light, he's talking about, let me back up. This whole walk in darkness thing. He's not saying if you're struggling with sin in your life, you got this sin or that sin. What he's talking about is a, a walk in darkness, if your lifestyle is in darkness, if you're living in sin. We all sin, and we all struggle with sins, and we have certain sins that we have lots and lots of trouble overcoming. We're going to talk about that. But we need to be willing to confess we need to be able to admit, to acknowledge our sin. That's what he's talking about here. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And there are people doing that at the time, people doing that now, claiming to be without sin. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. All right? So there's a contrast going on there. It's, you know, people that think they can just go on sinning, living in darkness, or also people that maybe, maybe just want to hide their sin, you know, living in darkness. Um, if we walk in the light... Then we have fellowship with one another. If we confess, you know, in other words, the word confess means to agree or to say the same thing. The, the original Greek is to say the same thing, to agree. If we confess that it's sin, if we admit, if we acknowledge. And, and in the context, he's talking about fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. So the, the confession isn't, isn't just to God. It's being willing to acknowledge and admit that we're sinners. To each other as well. And, and, you know, obviously with certain sins, we need to maybe have one or two that we talk to and to help us with those sins. We need to do that, though. You know, accountability people. Um, what does he say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The word forgive there means to send away, to send away the sin. All right, so we're not talking about eternal forgiveness because we already have that. This is talking about ascending away the sin. He helps us to get rid of our sin. He forgives, he purifies. But he can't do it if we're hiding it. So if we're hiding our sin, then, then you know, and we're, we're hiding it from him, hiding it from others, God can't work with us. He, we need to be confessing. We need to be Acknowledging, we need to be admitting our sin, realizing that we're sinners. Then he can send it away and he can purify us. All right, it's important. Um, all right, so repentance is a word that's used a lot when we talk about sin, right? Now, now um, what do you think of when you think of the word repentance? What's it? The definition of repent. You guys are afraid to answer, aren't you? I don't blame you. Um, because Satan's done a good job of, of uh, redefining that word for us, I think. Maybe not necessarily redefining it, but he may, he, he's done a good job of getting us to think about it in a way that is inaccurate. So most of the time, people, when they say the definition of repent, what they say is repent means to turn from sin, right? That's, have you heard that? Turn from sin. 
You need to turn from sin. You need to repent, turn from sin. The word doesn't mean that. The word repent, the Greek word that's translated, actually means change your mind or your purpose. Change your mind or purpose. All right. That's what repent means. It means to change your mind. So no matter what it is you're doing, and it could include sin, it could be other things, change your mind. And basically it's take it to the Lord. All right. The fill-in here is repentance is not so much turning away from anything or from something, I guess, as it is about turning to the Lord. Okay, that's a big difference. And here's why that's important. If I think that repentance, that I need to turn from sin, uh, and I used to believe this. I used to think that I needed to clean up this area of my life before I can come before the Lord. All right, and, and that's the deception. Satan wants us to clean up our life. He wants us to think that we need to clean up our life before we can approach God. Um, what is the problem with that? Guess what? We're over on this side again. God is opposed to the proud. We're trying to clean up our life. Then we can pray to God. No. God says... Bring it to me. Let me help you with that. It's not turning away from sin. It's turning to God. Now, of course, turning to God means you're kind of turning away from sin, but it's not just turning away from sin. It could be turning away from our own philosophy, our, our own, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus was saying, come to me and believe in me. There were people believing all kinds of things. You know, the Jews in their own religiosity. Turn to God. That's what it means. And I think why that's important is we get hung up on our sin and we think, I need to clean this up. And, and then we just stay there because we can't do it. It's impossible. You can't clean up your sin. You need God to do it. So you need to come to God. Maybe that's obvious. Um, Revelation 3.20 is, is my favorite verse on that. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. Um, I don't have it in here, but I know in Hebrews it talks about uh, how Jesus is our great high priest and how we can, you know, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, find mercy and grace. Well, why do we need mercy? Because we've sinned against God. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not because we're sorry for our sin, not because we've turned from our sin, not because we hate our sin, but because Jesus died for our sin. All right, does that make sense? Can I hear an amen? All right, amen. That's resilience, right? We need resilience. We need to be able to bounce back. So these truths help us to live a resilient Christian life because... We're going to sin. We always sin. All right? We can get down on our sin. We can beat ourselves up. We can um, uh, think that we're unworthy. And we're on this side. God is opposed to the proud because we're relying on ourselves. We're thinking about ourselves. Or we can take it to the Lord and take it to his people and, and get help. And he can help us to overcome the sin. And we can receive God's grace. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's huge. All right. Okay, what tactics does Satan use against us to stop the progress of us, progress of the church? He has, he has some tactics he uses. Um, just going to read a, a verse, very familiar verse, I think. Excuse me. Um, it's from Romans 12, 1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You guys familiar with that verse? All right. Did, um, did that sound familiar to you? Did that sound right? Good. 
Did I miss anything in that verse? Anyone? Let me read it again. Therefore I urge you, brethren, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What did you say? By the mercies of God. Anyone else catch that? I left it out. I did that intentionally. This is how the verse actually goes. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. All right, did, what do you think? Anyone notice that? It took the second reading. Why is that? Why is that? Another translation says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. So what happens is, and Satan's done a good job of this, he gets us to forget about, or not think about, God's mercy, God's grace, but to focus, and especially us evangelicals, to focus on what we're to do. That's what we love to hear. That's the meat, right? Isn't that the meat? What are we to do? What should we do? Guess what? That's not the meat. What we're talking about today is the meat, because this is what changes lives. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Um, so we naturally focus on, this is a fill-in, all right? We naturally focus on our performance and we forget the context of God's grace. Romans, Romans chapters 1 through 11 is all about the gospel, is all about God's grace. Chapter 12, he starts hitting us with what to do, but he reminds us of what he told us about, right? That's huge. Even the word therefore, you know, ties it back, and he does the same thing. Um, okay, here's the, here's the fill-in. We, we naturally focus on our performance. You could write our behavior, our obedience. We focus on that, and we forget the context of God's grace. But God has gone to great lengths to remind us or to get us to, rem to remind ourselves. And I'll just read through this. Um, well, the first one there, God's commands are in the context of grace. It's really true. Romans, Hebrews 1 through 11, uh, Ephesians 1 through 3, Colossians 1, 2, the book of Galatians, most of it. It's about God's grace. It's about what he's done for us. Well, we run to the commands and we focus on those. And then we beat ourselves up because we're not doing it. So he's done, he's gone to great lengths to remind us. And, and uh, I'll just read through these quick. All the Apostle Paul's letters and most of the rest, they, including the book of Revelation, they begin and end with grace, mercy, and peace, or some variant of that. Do you ever notice that? That wasn't true of all letters in those days, but that's what, what a lot of the New Testament, most of the New Testament words start with. Grace, mercy, and peace, or end with it. Or, or actually, both. They start with and end with that. Now, I know he's doing a great greeting, and it's true, and he's probably, there's probably a prayer in there as well. But he, I think he's also trying to remind us, hey, grace, mercy, and peace to you. And then he goes into it, and then he ends. Grace, mercy, and peace. Or something along that line, some variant. Um, next bullet point, forgetting or not understanding God's grace is the reason Christians stop growing. Um, 2 Peter 1, I've, I've gone through that before with you, I think. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, it's the one, you know, um, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, through knowing him. Um, you know, he talks about um, how he helps us to, to shed bad behavior, and pick up good behavior kind of thing. Um, you know, and then he says, for this reason, add to your faith goodness and knowledge, and you know, goes right down the line. Add to your faith. Notice he says, add to your faith these things. He says, if you possess these qualities and they're increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unproductive. Okay, so he's basically saying if you, if 
if, if you possess these qualities, if you're growing, you're going to be effective, you're going to be productive. It's going to keep you from being ineffective, unproductive. Then verse 9, he says, if anyone does not have these qualities, he's nearsighted and blind, having forgotten that he's been cleansed from his sins. He's saying the reason we're not effective, the reason we're not growing, because we've forgotten. That's what God says. Revelation 2, 4 and 5, that's the Ephesian church. It's the one, you know, he describes it as a good church, doing a lot of great things. Um, but you've, I hold this against you, you've forgotten your first love. So it was, they were doing great things, kind of a, a legalistic church, you know, boom, 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 boom. You've forgotten your first love. That's what he's talking about. You've forgotten about about Christ. You've forgotten about the body. You've forgotten about grace. He says, repent, change your mind, do the things you did at first, all right? Go back. Um, the same thing with the, the, the church at Sardis in chapter 3. Uh, that's the, the church that was described as having a, a, the appearance of godliness, okay? The, the hypocritical church, they are hypocrit hypocritical. When he gives them the instruction on what to do, he says the same thing. He says, go back. Remember. Remember, um, remember the message you heard from the beginning and repent. Change your mind. Go back. Next bullet says, this is the primary purpose for us going to church. It's to remind us that the songs that we sing remind us about God's grace. Awesome songs. Thanks, by the way, Tim and music team. Um, and then the last thing, it's the primary purpose of the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. That's why he instituted that. Do this regularly. Take the bread. Drink the wine. Remember that I gave my body. Remember that I shed my blood. I did it for you, for your sins. Remember this. Do this often in remembrance of me. All right. So, I know what you're thinking. He's only partially down on the first page, and it's anyway. We'll get through it. Um, all right. So, what really is God's part, and what is our part in living the Christian life and sustainable faith? I love this verse because it it has this, these two verses. It has both in there, God's part and our part, really well. So I'm going to read this. Therefore. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Isn't that interesting? Saying, work out your salvation. Now, obviously, he's not talking about doing work. To, uh, to, to merit eternal salvation. Um, he, he's talking about a, basically a salvation from our sins. Um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, and um, this work out, the original Greek word, it's a, it's a mining term that they used back then. And, and essentially what he's saying is you've got, a, you've got this property and you've got gold and it's hidden but you need to work it out, all right? Work out your salvation. It says with fear and trembling, the words, the, the Greek words, it's, it's, it's the idea of fear, of reverence, you know? Um, you know, it's a, a reverential trust, um, trembling, you know, awe, awe of God. Um, you know, work the mind, get the gold. I've deposited gold, get the gold. It's kind of like uh, I referred to earlier, Second Peter. Um, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, through knowing him, through our relationship with God. He's given us everything we need. It's all there. We have it all. We just got to work it out. But it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, Fill in here, according to this passage, who's responsible for our growth in the Lord? Who is it? You guys are afraid to answer. Well, it's both. 
it's, it's, we, we've got some responsibility there, and God's got, obviously, it's up to God. Ultimately, it's up to God. And we'll learn more about that. So, so what is faith then? What does sustainable faith actually look like? I'll just read from Hebrews 11, 1 and 6. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's kind of important, isn't it? It's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So at the, at the core, this is a fill-in, at the core, at its core, faith is trust in God. Ultimately, it's trust in God. I think it's interesting. Remember what we were talking about last week? How, how our loving Father wants to give good gifts to us. He, he wants us to enjoy good gifts. He made it a, a part of his definition of faith in Hebrews 11. What does he say? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That he rewards those who seek him. Uh, I know a lot of times you're thinking, well, yeah, but that's not what the Christian life's about. We shouldn't think about our rewards, right? God put it in here. He's got good things for us. We need to recognize that. It's a part of faith. It's about part of trusting him is to know that he's got rewards for those who seek him. Okay, next page. Burn through this a little bit. Um, so, uh, throughout the Bible, of course, uh, this principle is from cover to cover, all right? It's, a, it's faith. It comes down to faith. You know, I think of the garden. garden. Uh, what happened was the, the, um, Adam and Eve chose to not believe God, to not trust God. They chose to question God's goodness. They chose to do their own thing, okay? Noah, heard, heard from Pastor Jack a few weeks ago on, on Noah, um, he was a man of faith. You know, he believed God, and, he, and look what he did. Uh, uh, Abraham, of course, is credited, you know. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The, the, the Bible is full of, of faith. And I just threw some synonyms in here of the word faith that pop up. Uh, I'll just read them. Trust in the Lord. The fear of the Lord, you hear that. The fear of the Lord, it involves fear, but it involves a reverential trust. That's what the, the definition, is, definition is, a reverential trust. Again, it's faith. Fear of the Lord, um, love the Lord your God is, is you know, you've, you've got to believe, you've got to trust him, you know, go to him, love him. Uh, you know, Jesus says, come to me, believe in me, accept me, seek me, seek my kingdom, follow me. All those are basically trust God. Trust Jesus. They're just a, another way of saying it, or different levels. Remain in me. Abide in me. We, we, we learned about John 15. You know, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me, he who abides in me. Um, it's like a sustained faith. Abide in me. Remain in me. But it's faith. New Testament, you know, pre present your bodies as living sacrifices. Uh, uh, surrender to Christ. You know, you're, you're entrusting yourself to him. It's faith. Uh, submit to God, walk by the Spirit, or being, be filled by the Spirit. It's the same thing. The Spirit is God. You're walking by the Spirit. We're trusting God. We're trusting the Lord. We're, we're being filled by the Spirit. We're, we're trusting God. Depending on, relying on, um, you know, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're trusting in His Word. You know, and again, think back to, to our, you know, we're little children. He's our, he's our Father. Um, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Work out your salvation uh, with fear and trembling. Again, it's a, it's a trusting God. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the faith. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. We're trusting God. Um, fill in here. Sustainable faith is a faith that follows grace. And, and that's critical. It's a faith that follows grace. Grace comes first. For by grace you've been saved. Through faith, it follows grace. They're two sides of the same coin, essentially. Faith, grace. They go together. Grace, faith, I should say. Sorry. Grace, faith, 
by his grace through our faith. Okay. So, um, what does this look like, you know, carried out practically? And, and uh, this is awesome. This is awesome stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this to you. This, this so blesses me. So, Titus 2, 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It. What's the it? The grace of God. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. God's grace teaches us to say no to the bad stuff. He teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. We talked about those in the first, uh, the first uh, teaching. His grace teaches us to say no. And then he also helps us with the good stuff, right? And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us through, from all wickedness and to pure, and catch this, catch this, this is so cool, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. There we're talking about one of our goals, right? To be reproductive. You know, good works was a form of fruit. It's a result of God's grace. For, for the grace of God, it teaches us, say no ungodliness, to live self-controlled, upright lives. Why? To purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. All right? So, that's huge. It's foundational. All right. It gets even better. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. So I say, and by the way, I did, my, I did the underlining here. So. so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, I'm not going to read all this. I think you know what it says. For the, the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're in opposition. You know, verse 19, it says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. You know, and then he lists them. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. You know, lists all these things. Bad things. All right? And then he says in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Uh, I guess it's got the word forbearance there. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, so... So he, and then he goes on and talks about that a little more. And then he, he comes back to what he said earlier, since we live by the Spirit, since we're alive by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited and provoking and envying each other. What I like about this is there's only one command that we need to follow in this whole passage. Okay, he's not telling us to avoid sexual immorality. He's not telling us to do all those things. Obviously, we know we should do that, but that's not what he's saying here. He's not telling us to be loving and joyful and, and peaceful and, and, and kind and good. He's not telling us to do that in this passage. He's not commanding us. There's one command in this whole passage, and I underlined it. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And everything else are results. If we walk by the Spirit, what does he say? So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify. The fruit of the Spirit, once again, we're talking about our reproductiveness, about bearing fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and he lists them. But the command is to walk by the Spirit. And he repeats it in verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's the same thing. It's the same walk, keep in step. Spirit, so, so walking by the Spirit is like a step-by-step, moment-by-moment faith in God, trusting God, moment-by-moment. Moment. Isn't that awesome? Trust the Lord. He'll help you rid the crap out of your life. Trust the Lord. He'll build His fruit in you. 
This is sustainable faith, sustainable Christianity. That's what he has for us. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, so there, there again, what's his purpose? The good works. That's his purpose. He created us, created us in Christ. Um, he also created the good works. He's got them ready for us. Trust him. We need to walk in them. That we should walk in them. Okay. Um, this last part, what does it mean to trust God as his little children? What does that look like? Um, it means like little children, we are very interested in... Now think about little children and their father, think, uh, parents, but us and our father. Think about little children. They're interested in spending time with them, right? That's called fellowship with God. Interested in enjoying him and all he has for us. They're interested in what he has to say, so we're interested in, in reading his word. Uh, doing what he wants, talking with him, asking for things, that's called prayer. Becoming more like him, sanctification. We're interested in being with his other kids, all right? Um, fellowship, learning from his leaders, teachings, books, uh, helping others to find him, evangelism, helping each other know him better, discipleship, sharing his love, doing good, connecting with his family, that's the church, um, participating in his mission, making disciples. We're interested. We're, as his children, are we interested in that? We're interested in these things. All right. The last thing I just say as a result, the result is a faith that is both reproductive and resilient, a sustainable, sustainable faith. Um, so think about that. Think about little children we're little children entrusted, trusting our Father, and, and just think about it along those lines. Yeah. All right, I guess we're out of time. That's about all I need to say. So why don't we pray? Dear Father, we um, thank you so much for your provision for us, God. Thank you for that it is by grace. Thank you for loving us so much that you came to the planet. You suffered. You did miracles. And then you died for us. Thank you for rising again, God, for giving us forgiveness, eternal life. And uh, pray, God, that you help us all to uh, seek to become more reproductive, more resilient, to seek to trust you. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.